Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on John, Believe. So John chapter 5, I invite you to uh, just ponder these first few verses, if you will, and then we're going to unpackage what I believe to be a very, very rich, uh, strong uh, chapter here today. Verse 1. There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Let let me draw a a few observations as we get rolling. I want you to think about this. Uh, There were seven feasts that the Jewish people celebrated, and uh, many scholars believe this feast here was the feast of Passover, which makes a lot of sense when you start to unpackage this text and what Jesus does at this one. Uh, There is a... Uh, a messianic brother by the name of Zola Levitt. Okay, my buddy Jeff and I have read this guy's writings, and I would highly encourage you to write this down, Josh Lee. Zola, Z-O-L-A, Levitt, L-E-V-I-T-T, I believe it is. He's a messianic guy. He passed away a few years ago, but to me, he writes some of the most brilliant, accurate uh, things that we can read, Jeff, when it comes to the, the feast, understanding Jewish culture, understanding the backdrop of a lot of scripture. So Zola Levitt, man, I, I'm, I'm a fan of him. I've read his study on the seven feasts. It's incredible. But Passover is where uh, they, they put the blood on the doorpost and the angel of the Lord would pass over. And so every year the Jews would pause to celebrate Passover Uh, It would become part of the celebration of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. But it was uh, a yearly uh, stopping and remembering of celebrating God's good, God delivers, uh, God is for us, and God loves us, and God has made provision for us. I mean, when you go back, Steve, that's what what it was about. Now, verse 2, in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, is a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these five porticos or column areas at Bethesda lay a multitude of those who were sick. They were blind. They were lame. They were withered. Now, a lot of Bibles have, parenthetically speaking, this right here is eliminated, this next phrase, but I, I think it fits. The English Standard Version that we're using doesn't include verse 4 here. NASB does. It fits with the narrative. They go back to the original manuscripts as close as they could, and they're like, well, it's kind of choppy there. We're not sure if it needs to be included, but I believe it does need to be included, this verse 4. And it goes on to say, uh, the sick, lame, and withered people laying around this pool, around these columns... They were waiting for the moving of the waters for an angel of the Lord would go down at certain seasons into the pool. It would stir up the water and whoever was the first one to step in was made well from whatever disease uh, with which he was afflicted. Now, that's where these people are. When it says a multitude, many scholars believe there were hundreds of people laying here. Specifically, we're identifying one. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. He had been lame. He couldn't walk. He was knocked down. When Jesus saw him, verse 6, and Jesus knew he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said to him, do you wish to get well? 
The sick man answered and said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm coming, another one steps in. Jesus said, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Immediately, the man became well. He picked up his pallet and began to walk. This next phrase is crucial as you understand uh, the chapter here of chapter 5. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. That's going to be the buzz and the frustration as you dive in and ponder the majority of it here. It's not uh, a, a celebratory time for the Jews to look at a guy who had been healed. It was more of a frustrating time because it was the Sabbath. And what God is declaring through Christ is, I'm Lord of all. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Everything belongs to me. That's where he's going to drive this point. Now, it's interesting. There in Jerusalem by the sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate is an interesting concept. When uh, Nehemiah came back in uh, years ago and rebuilt the, the temple area, if you will, and uh, the reconstruction of the walls, there were 10 main gates. The sheep gate was a very uh, holy gate, if you will. It was used for the purpose of bringing sacrifices into the temple. So the sheep gate is an anointed gate that they would walk in with their sheep as they were coming in for sacrifice. It also represented the door of salvation that sinners could enter. It's, it's huge. Hey, that, that gate right there represents that sinful people can come in here, make a sacrifice, and come before God. It's like, that, that's, that's cool. The gate was also an opening uh, for the people uh, that led out into the sheep pen where these lambs were being bought, if you will. Now, just outside of the sheep gate, you'll find the pool. I don't know if it's still there, the pool of Bethesda. Now, you'll see that there's two parts to the pool of Bethesda. Now, we were there a couple years ago, and again, all the excavating that's taken place, they have literally found the pool of Bethesda. People will say, well, we don't even know if that's there. Uh, hundreds of years ago, uh, through all the excavating, they're like, no, there it is. Now, there were two different parts to this uh, place called Bethesda. One side of it was used to wash the dirty sheep before they would take them in to sacrifice them. The other side was used for the dirty people that they had labeled being diseased, blind, lame, and no good. So, so Bethesda was a place of dirt and filth. Now, Bethesda in Hebrew, bet is house of, as the means mercy. Bethesda defined as the house of mercy. The purest definition of mercy is the compassion and kindness of God being extended to those who are living in misery. They call this place Bethesda. We're going to keep our sheep out there. We're going uh, to wash these sheep in those uh, waters. And all those dirty, diseased, lame people, because if you were sick or lame or knocked down, you were, you were viewed as less than, dirty, something was wrong with you. Now, here's the thing. You've got Jesus, who is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, who ultimately is the sheep gate. And he makes his way over to the waters of Bethesda. The God of all mercy enters into a place of pain and dirt and filth. And verse 6 says, Jesus saw a guy who had been laying there who had been ill for 38 years. Jesus knew his condition and how long he had been sick. And implied is Jesus extended compassion. 
Because he looks at him and he says, hey, you want to get well? And to me, it's a challenge as we do life every day, as we walk through the streets of our neighborhood, through the streets of Loganville, Walton, Gwinnett, and beyond, what do I see, what do I notice, and am I extending compassion to the brokenhearted and the broken down? Jesus enters into a place of pain and to a place of shame, but he asks the question, hey, you, you want to get well? And, and I would think in my mind, yes, he does. He's been jacked up for 38 years. He can't walk. I, I mean, he, I, I'm sure he does. But people had dropped him off. It's not like he could walk there. It's not like he could get there himself. And, and something inside of me believes that the guy is like, do I want to get well? Man, for 38 years I've been stuck. For 38 years I've been lame. And for 38 years, I... This has become my identity. I mean, hope? I I ain't had hope in a long time. And this guy was used to accusations, not invitation, because people had accused him, something's wrong with you. And now Jesus, the God of all mercy and the Lord of all comfort and the God of all grace, living water, stops and looks at him. He says, you want to get well, he was at the house of mercy, and nobody was offering him mercy. And that breaks my heart to think that people would walk on this campus who are living in stable misery, who have been knocked down, who are strung out with self-inflicted wounds or addictions or whatever, Dan, and they would not experience grace and mercy and love from the people that call themselves Christ followers. The Cross Loganville is a place where you can be restored. The Cross Loganville is a place where you can repent. The Cross Loganville is Bethesda. It is a place of mercy, of living water. And I promise you, no matter what your story is today, no matter how jacked up you may feel, and no no matter how stuck you may feel, I promise you today, healing is available in Jesus' name. But I was looking at this and I was thinking, man, I get it because we've all sat beside our own pools at times hoping things would change. Man, I've got my circumstances and I've got all my self-pity going on and and we lay by our own pools, Brandy, Ian, and we think, well, maybe maybe things will eventually change, But, but it doesn't change. And what I've come to realize in pastoring for all these years, that question sounds crazy. Do you want to get well? But reality is some people don't want to get well. Some people will tell you that they're sick. They'll tell you how they got sick. They'll tell you how long they've been sick. They'll tell you about sick conversations they have with other sick people. But when you ask them, do you want to get well? They just run to a conversation of sickness. Because their sickness is comfortable. Because the, to risk what is unknown scares some people to death. If I'm going to risk and step out into the unknown, I've got to stay in the known, the familiar. At least in the known and the familiar, I can control it. You want to get well? You just don't know how bad my life is. My life sucks, man. I've got one of the worst stories you will ever hear. And they stay so, 
your word, frozen, can't move. And, and some people like being known for their disease. Some people like being known for their sickness. Some people like being known for their bad attitude. It's like, where are you at today? Are you stuck anywhere? Are, are you laying there by your own pool in misery because of, of a bad attitude, because of anger issues, because of alcohol issues, because of unforgiveness, because of resentment. And all of a sudden, you, you, you walk into church or you listen to a message, and it's like healing is available. You don't have to stay there. God's redemptive love can unlock you. He's come to set the captive free. And you walk out going, no, I, 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 I'm going to stay where I'm at. I want to stay in my addiction. And it's interesting that just as Jesus looked at that guy and he says, hey, get up. Take your pallet. Let's walk. I believe the echoing cry of the Holy Spirit right now in your life is this. The Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is saying, stop it. It's time to get up. It's time to repent. It's time to start walking. It's time to start moving toward healing. Now let's go. You don't have to stay there anymore. Some people are stuck. And even this guy, when Jesus says, you want to you get well? Man, I ain't got nobody to help me out. I mean, I ain't got nobody to extend any love to me. I mean, you see me? Every year that angel comes down and stirs up the water, somebody gets in before I, I, I ain't got nobody to help me out. And I hear people saying that at times. Or they're, they're just nobody cares. No, nobody's going to help me out. Here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. Do not allow another person's unbelief to stop you from speaking life over them. His unbelief did not put the brakes on Jesus. Oh, I, I ain't got no help. I, I'm just stuck. It's just the way it is. Jesus says, get up and take your pallet and walk. And can I tell you? We have life and death in the power of the tongue. And we encounter people at times that are knocked down. And if you'll listen to their griping, and if you'll listen to their complaining, and if you'll listen to all their junk, they'll tell it to you. But if you stop and speak life over them, they have to stop. I got to speak life. There was a gentleman in the first service, and I, I, I was... Just praying during our prayer time, and it's like, pray over him, pray life over him. It's like, come here. Went back and got him, come here. It's like, what's up? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would totally give him a distaste for alcohol. That you would show him, Jesus, you're enough. In Jesus' name, amen. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. My mom reached out to me on Thursday, and mom goes, your dad needs a, he needs a pep talk. He's having a rough day. I said, is he? She goes, his Parkinson's is bad. Back surgeries, open hearts, whatever. His Parkinson's bad. And he starts, she puts him on the phone, he starts crying. I can't even hold a bottle of water. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to pour coffee all over me, son. I'm just shaking so bad. I can't hardly move. I'm afraid to eat. I'm afraid I'm going to choke on food. I mean, it's Parkinson's messing with me. 
and I said, I'm so sad. So sorry, Dad. I'm, 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 I'm so sorry. But we start talking. Hey, Dad, I'm proud of you. Dad, you're an incredible man. Dad, you've been the best mentor. You've been the best life coach in my life. I just want you to know I'm proud of you. God's not done with you, Daddy. I know it's rough. I know you're hurting. I know you can't hardly get out of a chair right now. But, Dad, you're the most resilient, stubborn dude I've ever met in my life. You've got more fight in you than any human being I know. Dad, we're not throwing the towel in. Come on. I love you. I know you're hurting. I am. You get a Friday morning. Leave the house at 5.30. I'm shooting a noonan. Going to see the old dude. Bam. Stop by Chick-fil-A, grab some grub. Go in. I'm like, hey, we're picking up the spirits today, big boy. Speaking life. You redeemed. I mean, he's listening to Southern Gospel. He's blowing it up. He's worshiping the Lord. He's got his commentaries there. He's telling me what he's reading. And I said, come on. Come on, Dad. We're not done yet. Home health care shows up. We're starting to integrate that into uh, their portfolio. Nurse shows up first time. Hey, they, they're going to work with you. They're going to help you. Y'all realize y'all are not going to give him drugs to sedate him and put him in a, in a funk. The dude, he, his mind is working. His body just needs a little help. Y'all are not coming in here to sedate him. Y'all understand that? Yeah, no, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to do everything we can to increase your quality of health. That's right. Man, his neck was shaking, head was trembling, trembling. And, and, and by the time I left, there was a calmness, man. He was starting to feel like, man, hey, there, there's, a, there's a chance to at least be able to win a little bit more. I'm like, that's right. I called Neil. Neil was one of our elders. I said, Neil, man, I'm leaving Noonan. Here's where it's at today. But we were speaking life on him. Neil goes, I'm going to see him in the morning. I'm like, come on. He goes, I'm going down there. Neil gets down to Noonan yesterday at about 10.30, spends about four hours with him, and just pumps him up. Talking to him on the phone, Neil went and got food for him. Come on, you're going to eat. Come on, you're good. And just blessed him. Neil leaves. About 40 minutes later, my son Jesse was going down. He spends about two hours with him. And everyone... Everyone was just speaking life on him. Not the, oh, your body sucks. You're about to die. You don't have much time left. I'd throw the towel in. No, sir, we were speaking life. Because the tongue can bring life or death. And Jesus looks at this guy. You want to get well? Get up. Take your pallet and walk. He just speaks life on him. Do not allow the unbelief and disbelief of another person to detour your conversation. Speak it. Get up. He would show up later. Lazarus, get up. You can't be saying that. He's been dead for a few days. Get up. And when life speaks, death has to move. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, here's the thing that jacked it up. You should have never, Jesus, did what you did on the Sabbath. Because you have made these religious people some, some more kind of mad. Listen to what he says. 
the Jews said to the man who was healed, it is the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them. Somebody not spoke life to this dude. But he answered them. A dude that was sick. A dude that was looked down upon and degraded by the Jews. But he said to them, uh, he who made me well told me to pick up my pallet and walk, which is implying y'all ain't never done anything to bring life to me. Y'all ain't never spoke healing on me. Y'all ain't never showed me I had purpose. But the one who told me to take up my pallet and walk, he spoke life. He spoke freedom. He spoke Jehovah Rapha healing. Who is the man who said to you, pick up your power and walk? Instead of rejoicing, they were complaining. Instead of praising God, they were shaming. They were looking for reasons. Hey, man, this, this dude that told you that, we don't like him anyway. He broke the Sabbath. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He created the possibility of Sabbath. He created life. You don't think he's over what he created? But their attitude was like, no, man, that breaks the law. And the Jews were religious, but they didn't have any compassion. And that's what he continues to confront them with throughout the Gospels. Oh, y'all tithe and do a lot of cool stuff. Y'all don't even love people. You don't have no compassion in your heart. Verse 18, for this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus. They were seeking all the more to kill Jesus because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his Father, making himself equal with God. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Hey, here's where the Jews landed, Jonah. Let's kill what we don't understand. Let's kill what we can't control. Let's kill anything that threatens our power. And I've been around church culture that does the same thing. Oh, we're going to kill what we can't control. We're going to kill what we don't have direct influence in. Oh, we're going to come on in there and we're going to kill it. And I'm telling you, I know people that never went back to church because they got killed by legalism and religion. And, and again, Steve, for me, that first introduction, you can't undo it, your first experience. Independent, fundamental, legalistic. Oh, if you love Jesus, you got to get your hair cut. Oh, that, that right there, oh, I'm telling you right there, that is straight out of the world having purple hair. Teresa, they'd be blowing you up back in the day. <laughs> Poor little Amy can't sing. She's got a tattoo. That's straight from the devil right there. And Rachel, baby, that's what I was introduced to. It was the spirit of religion. Oh, they got drums and guitars. Oh, no, that's devil music. And Jeff, we heard that crap. And all it was is people were trying to kill what they could not control and what they could not determine. Oh, we're going to kill that right there. I remember my buddy Jerry sitting in the back. I remember Jerry when he first came here, and he came out of that same kind of flavor. And Jerry came in one day, and I'm like, look at you. You are wearing jeans to church, brother. 
He's like, man, finally. And then all of a sudden he wore a pair of shorts, and I'm like, Lord, how mercy, Jerry. You're either on your way to hell or you have been set free, my brother. <laughs> right? I mean, right? But the Jews were all about trying to just kill out anything of freedom. Jesus was bringing freedom. And religion will kill you. Religion is nothing more than man's futile attempts of trying to connect with God. And the purest definition of religion is a return to bondage. Jesus did not bring religion, re, to redo it, a return to bondage. Christianity is God lovingly extending himself to humanity. Rick, this is where I'm landing. I'm telling you right now, Tim Keller, great writer, great thinker, he made some great observations as I was pondering this. Religion is a system of beliefs or a code of conduct that either qualifies or disqualifies a person based on how well they keep certain rules, certain traditions. It's all man-made, certain codes. Uh, this is the religion. You've got to keep this. Religion, it is enforced by those in high positions to either maintain or abuse power over other people. That is religion 101 right there. Religion at its heart says this. Uh, it, religion just says do. This is the simplest way to say it. Christianity says done. Religion says you got to do something. The gospel says done. Jesus has done it. everything the Father has required. In religion, people obey so that they feel like they're accepted by God. The gospel, I obey because I'm accepted by God. If you feel like you've got to do something in order for God to accept you, it's religion. Why do you obey? Because I'm accepted. Religion. The motivation will always be out of guilt, always be out of fear, will always be out of intimidation. The motivation of the gospel is out of joy and gratitude. Why do you give? Out of joy and gratitude. Why do you share your faith? Out of joy and gratitude. Why do you love your neighbor? Out of joy and gratitude. Why do you do that? Because I'm just joyful. Jesus is enough. Religion, I obey to get things. Because when I perform, God owes me, and we call that duty. The gospel, oh, it's devotion. He owns me. He don't owe me anything. You, you see, religion is, oh, I'm going to do this, but God owes me one. The reason so many people walk away from church, if you will, they've never met the Jesus of the gospel. They've just met religion. And all of a sudden, God does not become subservient to what their agenda is. Well, God let me down. I'm like, no, your view of God let you down, and your own self-centeredness of your view of God has let you down. Come on, Jonah, go in. God won't let you down, brother. Religion? This is what I've seen, Mike. When things go wrong in my life, I get mad at God, and I get mad at myself because God, Good people deserve to live comfortable. That is religion, Bert. Oh, these, I'm getting mad because good people deserve to live a comfortable life. That's not the gospel. The gospel is when circumstances are rough and tough, praise God because God is doing it for his glory and my good, and I can't be conformed and resemble Jesus unless I go through adversity anyway. Oh, 
<laughs> it's crazy. So many people that are religious are all about their self-image. Once you get the gospel, you're not trying to please everybody else. It's like, man, God is at work both to will and to act. I'm not trying to present or promote a right image. That's what you said last week. I, I got to act like I've got it together. No, the gospel says quit acting and just realize you ain't got it together. And if you could save yourself, you wouldn't need the Savior. So come on and fall before the Savior where he can save you. Come on. Somebody needs to get free in here today. Religion, I pray because I've got a need, or I pray because I'm trying to control my circumstances. The gospel, I pray because I just love God, and God invites me to talk to him in conversation, in contemplation, and I'm just praying out of obedience because I've got a relationship. Oh, I just love hanging out with the Father. And you, you do, you've got to stop and say, have I embraced the gospel, or have I just Embrace religion. Religion will shame. Religion will guilt. Jesus said, he who does not honor the Son, verses 20 and 24, he can't honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly. That phrase, truly, truly, is mentioned about four or five times in, a, in about an 11-verse period right here. He goes, truly, 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 truly. What he's saying is emphatically, emphatically, listen to me, listen to me. He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. Listen to me, listen to me. Do you believe? Have you been persuaded to action? Are, are, are you taking action in who I am and what I'm teaching? Do you really believe? And you've got to stop and go, if not, then what's stopping me from believing? What excuses am I still trying to leverage on why I don't believe? Jesus goes, listen, guys, I'm God. I'm life. I'm the giver of life. I'm healer. I, I am God. Listen to me. That's who I am. And even John would record in chapter 5, Jesus only did what he saw the Father do in verse 19. The Father loves him and shows him all things, verse 20. He has authority to raise the dead and give life just like the Father. John, John's writing all this stuff down. Uh, that, that's who he is. He's God. All judgment has been given to him by the Father. He's going to judge all things. Those who believe in him will receive eternal life. He's, he, he, all Jesus is saying throughout this dialogue and confrontation with the Jews, I'm God, what are you going to do with me? Don't try to dismiss me. Now, the old, uh, the old Scottish preacher, John Duncan, Back in the late 1700s, 18, early 1800s, he was the first to kind of introduce this thought process, if you will. And he uh, shared what he called the trilemma. C.S. Lewis would later build on this argument. But listen to what Duncan said. Jesus Christ is either, he was either deceived and frauded other people. Jesus Christ either deceived all these people that were hanging around him, and he was just a stinking fraud. Two, he was self-deceived himself, thinking that he was something that he wasn't. Or he goes, here's the trilemma. Or he really is God in flesh, and he's deity. He was the first to introduce this kind of thinking. 
C.S. Lewis came on the scene and said, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people oftentimes say about Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Lewis is like, that's foolish. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic on the same level with a man who stood up and said, I'm a poached egg. You'd go, that dude's nuts. Lewis says, or he would be the devil of hell himself to mislead and deceive the way he did. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. It seems obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fraud. I accept the view that he was and he is God. That was the turning point. That was it. Jesus, you're God, you're Savior, you're Lord, you're Master, you're authority for me. Drive the stake in the ground, Tim. Who is Jesus? He is God. He is my Savior. He is the master of all things. Well, he, he, was, well, he was a decent teacher. Decent. No, he was either crazy or he was God. You believe it? Yes, I, that, that, that was the turning point for me. He defeats death, hell, and the grave. He raises, he does all these incredible miracles. And I'm like, he's my Savior. Here's the keys to my life. What a terrible trade that was. Because I get the righteousness of God and you get this stench of mine. But you're God. You call the shots. And that's what Jesus keeps saying. I'm God. I'm life. I give life. But here's the deal. How can you hear and how can you see certain things I've done and you don't, you don't believe? You turn a deaf ear. You walk away from it. You're not willing to yield everything to me. So he's declaring, this is who I am. I'm studying this going, I've never pondered this thought right here before. Okay? John, this, this one right here rocked me. I've never studied this one, Rick. Jesus then uses four witnesses to validate who he is. Under the judicial system of the Jews of that day, Two strong witnesses brought validation of who a person was before the courts. You got to have two. Remember Jesus sent the disciples out in pairs or two or more? Remember we said where two or more are gathered? Two. Two was the number of witnesses. You got to have at least two strong, credible witnesses. Listen to what he goes to. John does. He pins it and he says, uh, as Jesus is talking to the Jews, he goes, John the Baptist validated who I am. John came on the scene, and John said, make straight the way of the Lord. He goes, I'm just a voice crying in the wilderness. But John goes, there he is. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John continued to say, there he is. I can't untie his sandals. My stuff has got to decrease. He's got to increase. He's Messiah. He goes, strong witness. Yeah, strong witness. Then Jesus says, the miracles that I do and the signs that I do and the miraculous works I do, they validate who I am. Water to wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah y'all saw it. He's going to confront them next week in John 6 because a lot of people were just wanting to hang out with him because of the tricks and the treats. He's like, that ain't going to work. You're going to have to embrace me for who I am. This ain't no sneaking circus. 
But he goes, my works, taking a few loaves and a few fish and feeding 5,000 plus validates who I am. Telling Lazarus to get up out of the grave validates who I am. Even this right here where I told a lame dude for 38 years, get up and walk, validates who I am. He goes, y'all want some witnesses? That's two. But let me go ahead and throw the trumps on you. The Father in heaven validates who I am. And y'all are really disturbed that the Father has continued to validate me. Remember when he was baptized? And all of a sudden, the dove comes out of heaven, and there's a voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John go up, and they're there, and Moses appears, and Elijah appears, and they're like, this is so cool. We've got Moses. We've got the prophets and the law, everything represented with Jesus. Oh, let's just chill here for a while. And the voice out of heaven said, Oh, this is my son right here in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, the law was good. The prophets had a voice for a period of time, but this is the way I will speak throughout eternity through my son. He goes, y'all want a witness? John the Baptist? My miracles? The father? And then he says, the scripture the scripture validates who I am. And he even closes by saying, listen, if y'all believe the word, you would believe who I am. If y'all even believe what Moses wrote, you would believe who I am. Moses wrote about me. I am the fulfillment of everything in scripture. Y'all don't even believe Moses. Y'all don't believe anything. Y'all just want to have power and control and manipulate and dominate. Because I want you to believe I'm Messiah. He uses four trump cards. Bam, bam. Do you believe? I'm not talking about do you go to church occasionally. I'm not talking about it. Do you go through the motions when it's convenient? If any man wishes to come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross daily and be willing to die. I believe. I believe you. And that's the invitation. It's not, well, let's just do life a little bit better. No. Let's, let's, let's live the crucified life. Let's lay our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice and say, I am all in. Every area of my life belongs to you. And I can honestly tell you, I believe, but man, I wish I believed more. I wish I believed deeper. I wish I took more risk. Do you believe? What are, what are the excuses? Now, I want you to hear me loud and clear. Here's something I personally believe in this space today. I believe that some sitting here, today is an awakening of spiritual rebirth for you. You've toyed with it, but you've never repented and surrendered. And I believe the Holy Spirit is so strong on your life right now that you're like, it's time to repent, let it go. It's time to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. I believe for some it's a spiritual breakthrough and spiritual surrender. I personally believe for some sitting in this room, 
the emotional and mental baggage you've been carrying. When I made the observation last week that God's love is greater than shame, some of you were sitting there going, there's things I'm holding on to and God's telling me to write it out and release it and I'm not going to do it. Today, I believe that Bethesda is right in your presence and living water is inviting you to experience his mercy and grace and love. You will not... You will not carry the shame and guilt any longer. I'm speaking life over you. Write it down and let it go. Make a spiritual transaction to the Lord. I'm speaking life over you. Don't carry that junk anymore. It's killing you and those around you. But here's what I believe. I believe there's people in this room. And I believe that you have been afflicted and sick and hurting. And we've seen God restore lives and resurrect lives in this room. But we have oil. Mike, there's going to be a team of us here this morning. Jeff, we're going to need people praying over people for the supernatural. But some of you are sitting here today, and you need a physical healing. The same God that told that guy, get up and let's walk. Now let's go. That same God is alive today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I do believe with all my heart that physical healing it's what God is desiring to offer some of you in this room. Is he going to heal everybody? No, he didn't heal everybody in that story. But I do believe that God is wanting to heal people in this room today. We want to pray over you. We want to anoint you with oil. We believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. We've got to step into the water of his mercy and say, all right, Lord, I need healing today. And let's believe, not just acknowledge, let's believe that God is going to bring about transformation and healing. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. But we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.